that continues until today. And so as I continue to pray about that, I, I grabbed a book and started reading a book. And eventually I called the author who lives in Australia and we began to talk. And actually, as we began to speak at first, uh, it seemed as if this wasn't going to work out. We took a couple weeks to pray about it. And so it is a privilege for me to introduce to you uh, the husband of Michelle, the father of four kids. He is the director of an organization in Australia that is actually called MOVE, formerly known as Christian Resources Ministry. And he resources church planters and sends some Australians overseas to serve overseas. He's been a church planter and now explores missional movements around the world. And so I've asked Steve Addison to come here and share with you our church what God can do and how he wants to continue the movement that he started through his son, Jesus. Steve, would you come and share with us, brother? Well, thank you uh, for your welcome. This is uh, just my second trip to this part of the world, and I'm feeling right at home. And the one thing I'm getting used to is the volume of food. And I, I shared with someone earlier today, everywhere I looked, there was food. Someone wanting to give me food. And I, I just said, I wish I had been here when I was 16 years old. <laughs> so it's great to be here. And uh, great to uh, be sharing the platform. Jeff's coming tomorrow night. And Jeff has been a mentor and a trainer to me. Uh, I, I have to bring him all the way to Australia. And uh, you get to hear him tomorrow night. And so it's great. He's not far, just a few hours away across the mountains. And uh, so it's good to be here with you. And uh, someone asked me yesterday after a day, I think Joey did, uh, well, what did you take away from today? How do you feel about the place? And uh, I thought about, I did think about the food and, and all sorts of things. But, you know, the thing that excited and stirred me most is the heart and the spirit in this place. And there's a little bit of trepidation when the boy from Australia is coming to, you know, a church of thousands. We don't have many of those in Australia. And you sort of wonder, is this, is this one of those corporate churches, you know, with the superstar, uh, senior pastor and the hard-driving, you know, executive who runs it like a business? Or what am I going to find here? And uh, let me tell you, this, it is a one. I feel it on. And uh, just to sense what God has done amongst you and the heart that you, you share for the world that he's made. It's, it's, it's wonderful to see what he's done. And people have paid a price for that over the years. That doesn't come cheaply. Uh, so you ought to be proud of what God has done in this place and be expected about what he has for you next. Well, I'd just like to talk a little bit tonight about... A day in the life of Jesus. I, I sort of, um, you know, guys especially, we, we like to come up with models of ministry, they're called. And strategies and strategic planning and that we compare your model with my model and we deconstruct and we reconstruct. And a while ago I got tired of all that sort of stuff because I was looking out across the globe and wherever the guys were sort of turning this into some abstract conceptual discussion, I, I just was not seeing the gospel go out 
and people becoming followers of Jesus. So for a year or two, I just got back into especially Luke and Acts. And I just asked, you know, what did Jesus do? Not what would Jesus do? I mean, Jesus would help your grandma out with the trash. Or, you know, he'd be there when you stubbed your toe. I mean, all those wonders. And he would be. But what did he do? And I asked myself a little while ago, uh, well, what, what was a normal day in Jesus' life? And I, I thought of one particular day. He was traveling and he's always got other people with him. Sometimes a big band of men and women. Sometimes a smaller group of his disciples. But he's got the twelve. And he's traveling from Jerusalem in the south up back home to Galilee in the north. And he wakes up that morning and as usual, he's in a strange place. You see, there's 175 towns and villages just in Galilee. That's not including Judea or the great city of Jerusalem. But if we just look at Galilee, Matthew tells us that Jesus visited every single town and village in Galilee. Now he's got three short years and he's dividing his time across sort of historic Israel, the south and the north, and Jerusalem. And just in the time that he has in Galilee, he's going to visit 175 towns and villages. So if you want to join the movement that Jesus started, you better hurry up because it just left town. You know how many people there are in Galilee? It's a fertile region. They're exporting food, uh, olives and wine and... Uh, Bread and wheat, well, probably not bread, that wouldn't last very long, but the wheat's going out. There's 200,000 people in this region of Galilee. And you know, after his ministry had finished in Galilee, it's quite possible that every single person of those, every one of those 200,000 had either met Jesus or knew someone who had. So, if Jesus comes to Knoxville, let's say he's got about 18 months, because he's, he's also working over there in Charlotte. He's going to visit every neighborhood. And I, I don't know whether it's two or 300,000 around here, but just about everybody is going to know about him. Has met him or knows someone who has. That's his heart of compassion for lost people. Movements move. They're not saying, even if they're settled here in Knoxville, they're thinking every town and village, every neighborhood, every high school, every university campus, every workplace, somehow we're going to touch the lot of them. So Jesus wakes up and he's in a strange place. And he's on the way from Jerusalem back up to Galilee, he happens to be passing through Samaria, which is, well, we don't, I don't know, who, who don't you like in, uh, if you're from Tennessee, you, you, what, who, what's the state you don't like? 
Alabama. I mean, you know, okay. We'll say Alabama. He's got to go through Alabama, and we don't like those people in Alabama. <laughs> and it's hot. And you know this story. You've heard this story before. It's the middle of the day, hottest part of the day. And Jesus decides to sit down and rest by a well. And he sends the twelve into town to get the falafels, or whatever you call them, the souvlakis, for lunch. And bring it back out. He wants to be alone. And he waits to see who might just happen to come along. What's he doing at the well? Well, every group that travels in the Middle East at that time has a little roll-up bucket, a little thin leather bucket. Because whenever you go to the well, the bucket's missing. Someone's taken the bucket again and hasn't replaced it. So the rope's tied down, but the bucket's gone. So you tie your little bucket onto the rope, you get your drink, you pull it up. But he's made sure the bucket has gone into town. And so a woman comes along in the middle of the day. She's alone because she's an outcast. And he asks her for a drink. Now, in the culture of the day, the deal is he's got to take about, you know, 10 steps back and let her come and get the water and then move on. And he's not to talk to her, he's to keep the distance. That's how it goes. But he just stays there by the well. And he starts up a conversation. I think this is a setup. He doesn't have a bucket. He's waiting for the person that God has prepared to come along to this well and he's going to start a conversation. Leave your bucket at home next time. Because he told his disciples, you know, this is his plan. You know, when you go out on mission, the credit cards, cards stay at home. The cash stays at home. Leave your mobile phone at home. Don't take the car. Go. Because if you go like that, you're going to be dependent on God and dependent on the people you're ministering to. And all you have to offer them is the gospel. That's what he told the 12 to do. That's what he trained them to do because that's what he's doing right now. And that dependency opens up a relationship. It does test. Is this someone that God's already prepared for me to meet? And he asks her for a drink of water. And she thinks to herself, what sort of idiot travels in this sort of weather without a bucket? <laughs> Where's his bucket? You know? She gives him a drink. And she's seeing water and all of a sudden she's, he's, he's saying, you know, if you knew who I was, the person who asked you for the water, you'd ask me for living water. And then this conversation starts unfolding. She's leading the conversation. She's asking the questions. He's responding. You think about it. I mean, we could just camp here all night. This is the Son of the Eternal God sitting hot and tired in the shade at this well because he wants to talk to this one woman. That's the sort of God who we call our friend. You think about it. That alone is enough. That's all we need to know, that the living God 
is sitting there having a conversation with this woman. That's his heart. That's why he's on the road. I mean, it's not a very good use of time when you can talk to thousands to sit there and just talk to one person. And she leads him, I don't know, all over the place with her. You know, first we have like a theological discussion. You Jews say we should worship in Jerusalem, but we have our own temple over here and our own holy mountain. And it, it just keeps going round and round in circles until Jesus brings her back to the one question of who he is and God's offer through Jesus of eternal life, living water that will last forever. And she starts out thinking that this, this guy is, uh, well, he's just some silly Jewish guy who doesn't have a bucket. And then she thinks, wow, he's a religious teacher. He's, he's a prophet. Maybe this is the savior of the world. And at some point she drops a bucket and she runs back into town to tell everybody that there's this guy that God has sent who knows everything about her, a string of broken relationships. The guy she's with right now isn't, she isn't even married to. He knows everything about her. And yet he still talks to her of living water. Jesus says, this is who I came for. I didn't come for the nice people. I came for the broken people. I came for the lost people. I came for the people that are on their fifth or sixth or seventh serious relationship that's been shattered. So if you were Jesus organizing the salvation of the world, how would you plan to take over a town? I mean, you'd say to yourself, I can go in there, I can heal some people, I could raise the dead if needed, I can speak the words of God. Failing that, I have some guys I've trained, they can cast out demons, they can preach the gospel of the kingdom, they can even brush off their sandals if people reject the message. They're all trained. I mean, you would want to send maybe you guys in. They're having lunch. The first missionary into this town is this woman. And what does she know? What does she know? All she can do is, is tell her story and say, maybe, just maybe, this man is the saviour of the world. And Jesus sends her as the first missionary into her town. Have you ever thought that? That that person on the bus, those folks across the road, the people you bump into at the hospital, someone in the store, maybe God has been working in their heart. And through you, they will become the first missionary into their world. You're thinking you've got to convert people. 
Somehow you've got to be smart enough and win the apologetic arguments and love them enough and be so perfect that people just pound on your door and say, why are you different? How many have had that happen in the last week? (laughs) I'm still waiting for that to happen. (laughs) Why are you different? (laughs) It's a work of God. He calls us into it. He's touched this woman's heart. Jesus has planted a seed and it's growing. And she is contagious. And this happens time and time again in Jesus' life and ministry. I mean, you've got the Decapolis. It's an alliance of um, ten cities, pagan cities, on the east side of the Jordan. What's Jesus' plan for the Decapolis? Well, we have a naked, bruised and bleeding, demonized man who's chained up and cries out at night and breaks the chains. I think he'll be the first missionary into the Decapolis. <laughs> I don't know, it might work in Bugahala. I don't think it'll work in Knoxville. <laughs> He wants to follow Jesus. He wants to go with Jesus. Jesus tells him, you go home and tell them what God has done for you. And the whole region of the Decapolis hears the gospel through this man. What did he know? What did Cornelius know? How long did Peter have with Cornelius? Two days. Oh, well, they left the New Testament with him. Peter's just sort of, wait a minute, I'm just finishing off third Peter. There you go, here's the New Testament. <laughs> there was no New Testament. <laughs> so Cornelius is up late at night. Peter's supposed to leave the next morning. And he won't let Peter go to bed. Peter's exhausted. It's midnight. Sun's rising at five. They'll be on the road by six. Please let me go to bed, Cornelius. Cornelius says, Peter, just tell us one more story about Jesus. And they're memorizing those stories. Who pastored and planted the church in Cornelius' home? Peter had two days. Probably Cornelius. Movements move. Jesus is on the move. I... um, I like to tell people I wrote a very good book on movements. Probably like to tell too many people that. But it is a very good book. <laughs> the only trouble is, um, the Lord has other things that He wants me to be and do than just write good books. And it's even worse when, when, when He speaks through my wife. I know you guys, you, you know what this is like. Because He says some things through your wife that nobody else is allowed to say to you. And it's not fair. So, a couple of years ago, Michelle looked at me and and, and she said, Steve, you've written a very good book. And I agreed with that. (laughs) And and then she said to me, Steve, you teach other people what to do. When are you going to do something? Okay. And I thought, oh, I'm in trouble now. (laughs) Can't hide from my wife. (laughs) 
So I went back to my book. <laughs> Principle number three. What do I do? Ah, contagious relationships. What do we do? Ah, oh, we, we go out prayer. We're walking and look for people that God has already prepared, just like this woman at the well. Jesus called them households of persons of peace in Luke 10. Now we're busy. We, we lead a mission agency. I mean, there's also, we have things to do, all right? And so I make this deal with the Lord and my wife. We've got an hour and a half on Sunday afternoons. Let's go prayer walking. So we go prayer walking. Now, let me assure you, it's a lot easier to prayer walk and fight the devil than it is to talk to a real human being. You all know that. <laughs> so we're praying and I'm comfortable with those prayers. And we're walking around Box Hill. We're, we're probably the most common group of people you see will be mainland Chinese, but you'll, you'll meet people from India or Korea or Tibet. You'll meet all from all over the world. It's just near our home. And I'm, I'm feeling okay about prayer walking. And then Michelle says, let's go into the Chinese bookstore. And I say, Michelle, we don't read Chinese. <laughs> she goes in anyway. She's not a submissive wife. This wife of mine. <laughs> you picked that up. So in she goes, and I follow along. We meet the young sales assistant. We'll call her Shirley. Chat to Shirley for a while. She wonders why we're in a Chinese bookstore when we don't read Chinese. And we just talk for a while. You break off the conversation because she's got to work and you keep looking at books that you can't read. Some have pictures. Xinhua Bookstore in Box Hill. And Shirley spends the next 30 minutes chasing us around the bookstore. She will not let us go. We step outside of that bookstore and I turn to Michelle and say, we've got to find somewhere to sit down. I can hardly stand. And I don't know, I think it's the Holy Spirit. And I think it's the, the realization we have lived eight years, 15 minutes walk from thousands of people who a little while ago you would have had to risk your safety and security in order to share with. People from mainland China and other parts of the world. And the first afternoon, we set aside 90 minutes to go and prayer walk. The first person we met, God has already prepared and chases us around the bookstore. I was overwhelmed. So we kept going back. We kept meeting people. We followed up shortly. We shared the gospel. We started meeting her friends, her boyfriend, her other friends. They came away with us for summer holidays. It's amazing teaching people from China to surf or at least get wet near the waves. <laughs> and Michelle developed, and I became a team member, developed a ministry of English conversation for the thousands and tens of thousands, something like 400,000 international, well, we're not all reaching them, but they're just some of these international students and business migrants that are coming to Australia. And so every week now, Tuesday nights, English Conversation Club, 
I take the advanced class because it's easier than for the beginners. And we just talk about a topical issue and then we do a discovery Bible study. And they love it. And then we follow them up. We've been doing that for a couple of years. People started coming to Christ. It's amazing, isn't it? You start sharing the gospel. It's, it's sort of a mystery to me. You start sharing the gospel and people start coming to Christ. You don't share the gospel and they don't come to know Christ. It's sort of, I was thinking, I think I've worked this out. The reason why Australia is unreached is we're just not sharing. Simple. We have amazing encounters with people. We do start doing, the people who show an interest will do some discovery Bible study with them. And Jeff will tell you a bit about that tomorrow night. You just, it, you know, everything we do is simple and it's profound. We learn to tell our story. We learn to share the gospel. We learn to do discovery Bible study. And we can teach you in just an hour or two to do most of those things. And you can start reaching out, prayer walking, sharing with your friends and neighbours this week. And God will show up. In the last six months, we have led more people to Christ than in our whole lives. And for the very first time, we led a young couple from Shanghai to the Lord. We'd met them about one, six weeks at the most. And uh, I still remember sitting down. It was really good because Michelle was, uh, I think she was sick that night. She had to stay home. I said, I'm going to get to lead this couple to Christ. And Michelle's not here. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> they're mine. <laughs> I work, sort of. And, I'm, and they're so ripe, I'm thinking. And, and I share with uh, Carrie. And she's ready to receive Christ. We, we hadn't met them, you know, more than six, six weeks before. And then I share with Rick, the husband, and all of a sudden he starts putting up the defences. And I've got to back off. And I could lead Carrie to the Lord, but I'm going to wait a week or two and just let's see if they can come together. And uh, within a couple of days, Rick has got word from China that his mother has been rushed to hospital and may not make it. Totally out of the blue. And about, we started praying for his mother. And about two weeks later, he came back to English club. And I said, Rick, we've been praying for your mom. How did she do? And he said, Steve, from the moment I got the news, I never stopped praying. And God healed my mother. This is a guy who was resistant, who wasn't ready, who had every reason under the sun. And God has done a work in his heart. So we led them to Christ. Do you know, after getting trained by Jeff, I'm driving to discipleship with that couple. All I've got is six questions and a passage of Scripture. And we've got a curriculum and a process for discipleship. What do you like about the passage? You know, what does it say about God? What does it say about the people in the passage? Is there something here you need to do? What are you going to do this coming week? You know, really simple. 
And they're digging into the scriptures and growing and learning. And they're also saying to themselves, this stuff's so easy. You know, we could do what Steve does. So they start sharing their story and sharing the gospel with Tim and Lou, their friends from Shanghai. And two weeks ago, we had our first second generation believers. Because Rick and Carrie helped lead Tim and Lou to Christ. That night, they baptized them. They've only been believers for about three months and they will disciple their friends. We'll stick close. Michelle and I will stick close. You know, those sorts of stories I could repeat all over Australia. Jeff can tell you stories all over the U.S., And the exciting thing is what we're doing in Australia or what Jeff's doing in Bugger and wherever else he goes and the people he trains. Same thing that our people are doing in China, they're doing in India, or they're going into Thailand. The context is different. Sometimes we ask different questions. The process is the same. Because we've asked the simple question, what did Jesus do? It's not meant to be complicated. I'm not saying it's easy. It's something that He has called every one of you to do. Do you know what people are calling me an evangelist now? I mean, for decades, I'm praying, Lord, give me an empty seat on the plane. So I can read. (laughs) I am not an evangelist. But what we do is we say, well, Steve must be an evangelist because he's leading people to Christ. What happens if Steve is the worst evangelist in the world? And yet if he's willing to be obedient and teachable, and if he's willing to follow his wife, (laughs) he will see a harvest and he will help new believers reach the people in their world. What happens if that's true? It better not be, because if that's true, every one of us in this room have a job to do. Isn't that wonderful? God has a call on your life. There are women at the well out there. Maybe there's the odd demoniac. Let's hope we get Zacchaeus, because at least you'll get a good meal. He's a wealthy guy. There are people out there. There's a Cornelius in the military. And God has prepared them to meet you. And you need to learn, what am I going to say? How am I going to tell my story? How will I share the gospel story, God's story? And what are some simple ways, but profound ways to make disciples so I can not only disciple them, but set them loose like the woman at the well to reach their Let's stand together and pray. Lord Jesus, it is hard at times. It was hard for you and at times, Lord, it's hard for us. But you rose from the dead victorious. You sent your Holy Spirit into our lives to set us free to be witnesses. You have given us your dynamic 
word. And you are at work in our world. Lord Jesus, would you come now? Would you come amongst us and teach us how to do the one thing that you've commanded your disciples to do? And that's to make disciples. Lord, we're all at different points with this. But I know you're wanting to say right now, those of you who feel most inadequate, most unprepared, those of us that feel like we haven't got the words, we don't have the faith, you came for us. And you want to show us that the treasure of the gospel is in the earthen vessel of our lives. And Lord Jesus, tonight we recommit ourselves to your service. When you called your disciples, you, you gave them a command, come and follow me. And then you gave them a promise, and I will teach you how to fish for people. For men, for women, for young people, for boys and girls. And we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would enable us to let you teach us. And we ask that in your precious name. Amen.